Hello everyone, today I chat with Derek, who is an engineer based in Ireland. We talk about how he does dividend investing in order to grow his wealth and eventually earn enough in dividends to cover his expenses. We chat about how he uses his broker, how he does his research and pick the companies he invests in, and a whole load of tax stuff, managing tax and all that. Enjoy the episode! Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Arminta, and Matthias. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the FI Europe podcast. I am here with Derek. Derek, thank you for joining me. Thanks for for having me on today. Yeah, all the way from Ireland, right? Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about dividend investing, which is a bit more of a technical topic, but I think we'll, be, we'll keep it general and, and easy to understand. Derek, could you tell us a little bit like who you are and what is it that you currently do? Yeah, certainly. My name is Derek, as, as you said, uh, father of two boys, two young boys, and I am an entrepreneur. I own a coffee shop, but I also work in 95 as well as an engineer. Um, so anybody that follows me on Twitter will know me as Engineer My Freedom. Um, so that's kind of where I came up with my name from. Nice, uh, nice side hustle, coffee shop. That sounds like a lot of fun. Are you like in the day-to-day management kind of stuff or are you more overseeing it? Uh, right now I'm more overseeing it. So in, uh-huh. in the beginning, we have it about four years. Um, in the beginning, I was pretty much involved in the day-to-day. I run it with my sister-in-law. So she's pretty much involved. That's where she works full time now. She's down there. And I'm now sitting in the background looking after the financial stuff and, and all the kind of admin things. But it's going good now for the last, last four years. It's working well. It, it doesn't really interfere with my full-time job, which is great. Um, kind of a good system now. So it's more of a side hustle for me now at the moment. Nice. What a fun side hustle, I have to say. <laughs> but, <laughs> and I get nice coffee. <laughs> and you get a lot of coffee. It's probably really delicious. Where, where in Ireland, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, Watford. It's it's down right. We're called the sunny southeast, so it's right at the south, south of Ireland. Nice. Very nice. I've been to Dublin, but that's pretty much... And I loved it, obviously, but that's pretty yeah. much the only place I've been. Yeah, great. Dublin's a great city. Yeah, Dublin is beautiful. Cool. Okay, so kind of today, you, you told me you know... You're a dividend investing nerd also. We can see that also from your website. You have uh, some great info and great analysis on how you participate in dividend investing. So when did you start with all this? And, and yeah, what got you started on this path to dividend uh, investing? Yeah, so I started, uh, it's about three and a half, maybe four years now. I've been led down the road of dividend investing. When, when I started initially, I was looking to so just kind of invest, make my money work for me. And I explored lots of different options. And in Ireland, there's like property is, is one of the big investments. Like most people that you'd know, investment would have property. But obviously in the last crash happened and a lot of my friends and a lot of family got pretty much born from property because it's quite big leverage. And it was a risk that I wasn't willing to take. So after a lot of research, it kind of led me down the, the path of dividend investing where it is risky but I found it to be the least risk. So it suits my risk tolerance more so than, than borrowing, say, to, to um, invest my money. So it kind of, it was a process of about two or three years of constant research and reading until I found something that, that suited my, my own style. Nice. I like how you say that it suited your own style. So it's, it's kind of something that fits you better than maybe something else. 
Yeah, it, it, it fits me perfectly. As I said, th- there's risks with everything, but, but I feel like the risks can be managed a little bit better. I would like some, some properties, but I'm not totally comfortable with taking out a second mortgage for, say, 100,000 or 200,000 euro and having that debt over me. So at least I feel, I feel more in control of, of my investment strategy with dividends as I would to something else like property or, or anything that's more leveraged. Yeah, and I guess especially with uh, COVID and the lockdown, that's only proven like what you're saying is, is, is correct, right? Or you feel even more in control, I guess, now. Yeah, I feel, I feel more in control. And, and look, you wouldn't know it at the moment because property prices are, are still rising um, over here. But there was a bit of a crash in March. But luckily, I suppose with, with my style and with dividend investing, you're not really investing for the price of the stock. It's a bonus, but it's that income, that cash flow that comes in every month. I was lucky. I think I had one dividend cut in my portfolio, so it didn't. I didn't have a negative impact, I suppose, as much as, as other people would have had. Nice. So we kind of want to get into the specifics of how you do dividend investing. Could you kind of summarize what it is exactly, dividend investing, and maybe how you approach it yourself? Yeah. So like a lot of people, when they start, you kind of have set screeners that, that you look at. So you kind of look at dividend yield, which would be a popular one. And from there, you look at the cash flow of a company. And we have all different metrics. So if you're looking at PE ratio, pay ratio, can they afford to pay a dividend? As well as I personally prefer companies that have a history of paying dividends. So typically, I look for companies that pay at least 10 to 14 years. So that has showed me that even through recessions or through hard times that They've still had their shareholders you know, interest at heart, so they're still able to pay it. So they're the basic kind of metrics that I look for. But obviously, that's just a screener to get me the companies that then I do some more in-depth research. And to do that, I perform some fundamental analysis. I have a, I have a G-sheet that I can share with anybody, but it breaks it down into six different steps. And each step looks at different parts of the company. So I look at their financial strength, for example their earnings, cash flow, their pay ratio with earnings and cash flow, how much debt they have. And then we take a look at, say, the company management, for example. How has their CEO performed? What's their management like? Are they shareholder friendly? And all these kind of things. Eventually down to even looking at the valuation. So we have like a dividend discount model, which values a company. And then from there, I decide whether or not they, they, fit, my, they fit my thesis or not. So you really dig in there. You really do proper research, right? Yeah, and, and it hasn't always been like that. So as I said, I've been at this three or four years. And since I started my blog, and I've, I've had a lots of dialogue with not just dividend investors, some growth investors and, and all different types of investors. And it's kind of molding me into my own kind of lane. And I, I'm taking bits and pieces from everybody. And, and I'm learning to read financial statements better and understand companies and their roadmaps. So it's it's been an evolution over the last last three and a half years. Nice. So it's really to me, it sounds like a hobby almost because you're really digging in, like you're learning about these companies, learning how they work, and then you're like, okay, do I want to invest in these companies and then use their dividends to yeah. grow my portfolio? A hobby. It's it's more of a passion. Um, oh, it's, nice. It's, <laughs> it's it, like you, I don't know if you can hear, but I, I get quite excited about it. <laughs> it's not not everybody does, but it can be quite mundane for some people. But I just love the process of going through the financial statements for 10 years and going through all the numbers and, and really getting a picture of understanding what the company does. And sometimes you're, you're surprised there's some companies that you wouldn't expect 
to be as good as they are. And, and I do really, I do really love the process. As I said, I started the blog just to document my thoughts and put my thoughts onto paper and just to really share my journey and hopefully help some along the way, maybe to, to start on their own journey. And so how do you do this research? Where do you get your resources? Do you have certain websites or newsletters? Where, where do you get your information? If I'm looking at financial statements, it's, it's usually the investor relations site of a particular company. So say, for example, Coca-Cola, I go onto their investor relations site and they'd have a history of all their, so all their financial statements and presentations. There's also a really good website called Macro Trends, and they have done all this work for you. So they've extracted all this information and it's, it's freely available on their website. But some people might want to screen I mentioned earlier to screen on the dividend yield and PE ratios. And there's a very good free website called dripinvesting.org. And it has what's called a CCC list or challengers, champions, challengers and contenders list, which pretty much is a spreadsheet of all the different dividend paying companies, but it's divided into the amount of years that they've paid. So the champions have typically paid over 25 years. So anybody that has paid dividends or increased their dividends over 25 years would be on the champions list. And that's where I suppose if I was starting, that's where I would start. Yeah, the 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 technical well technical. Well they're they're also called the dividend aristocrats, right? Those who are just of course, yeah, yeah. who have been going on for a really long time. So over these past like three or four years, you've obviously accumulated quite a few. How many companies are you investing in currently? Like how large is your portfolio? At the moment I've got forty companies just about. But I'm I'm at the beginning I was I was kind of following the, the, there's a really cool guy he's a really cool blog called dividend growth investor and it's kind of what fueled my passion but he has this blog and he has a newsletter where he aims to make 1000 a month passively through dividends by investing 1000 a month so i started following him for the first i would say six months just to get a feel of how he does his analysis and some of the companies and, and while i was beginning the journey i wasn't overly confident and you know, putting down a thousand euro on companies I picked myself. So to have that guidance was good. But he was buying 10 different companies a month, which bloated my portfolio out to, to what it is 40. So I'm trying to scale that back at the moment. Uh, ideally, I'd like maybe 25 companies max. Um, so you'll see in my blog, I'm doing an analysis of every single company that I, that I own. And from there, I'll decide then which ones that I want to take out of my portfolio and which ones then that I want to keep for the long term. And so you are buying uh, stock in these companies. What are the logistics? Do you buy every month, the minute you get your income or, or how exactly, what is the process you go through when you buy? You, now you're saying that you're buying in the same companies, you're not buying new companies, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I buy every single month. So as soon as I get my paycheck from my, my job, I have a set amount that that's standing order direct debit that goes straight out of my account into my broker. So I invest the same amount every single month. And then who I invest in in that month will just depend on my analysis and who I think is undervalued or who's a bargain at that time. Nice. Okay. It's like every single month. That's cool. So now going on to the broker part, this, for some reason, I'm always interested in what brokers people use because it's, it's, it's a bit tricky because some of them are can be very different. So you're based in Ireland. Yeah. Do you mind talking a little bit about what broker you're using and, and you know, how it works? Yeah. So th there's two brokers that I use and, and none of them are Irish, by the way, because they are so expensive over here. But I use uh, De Guiro, which is a Dutch 
company, I believe. Yes, Alvar loves that and one. I, <laughs> yeah, they they be one of the most popular and they're really cheap. easy to use and they're super cheap. It cost me 50 cent to buy 100 shares in a US company. If I was to buy them same amount of shares with an Irish broker, it cost me 100 euro. So there's, wow. there's, there's, there's a big difference. And then the second one I've only more recently started to use is Trading 212. Um, again, they have super low fees. The only thing I'm kind of concerned about, I'm not sure if they have the same guarantees. Um, the, the Gyro, for example, have switched bank accounts, so they've, they've guaranteed your account up to 100,000, which I think is the, the Dutch law. I'm just not sure with, with Trading 212. So I have most of my portfolio in the Gyro, and then I have a small portion in, in Trading 212. Yeah, I see the trading two on two Instagram ads for some reason. <laughs> so yeah, they're, they're they're doing their marketing to the right people. Well, I don't know if it's the right people. They're the kind of Robin Hood. They're the yeah. European Robin Hood. And yeah. Look, I'm I'm always a little bit wary when the, there's no fees at all. So yeah, because uh, they're they're obviously you know earning money somehow, but maybe it's with hidden fees instead of telling you exactly. So a bit dodgy. Exactly. Yeah. So said I've only recently started to pick them up. So I'll I'll do a bit more due diligence on them before I invest proper money in them. But the Gyro is my my go to at the moment. Yeah, I used to invest in Giro too. And so how? So you're using Giro and you're based in Ireland. How do you manage the whole tax thing? Uh, is it? Do you just complete? I'm I'm not sure how it works in Ireland. So could you walk us through how you how you manage taxes when it comes to dividends and and investing? Yeah, so the, the taxes with the US stocks is, is quite straightforward. The guy will look after that for us. You fill out a WB10 form, I think it's called. And once you fill in that, the withholding tax is taken straight away and everything else is looked after for me. The European side of things is a little bit difficult. Well, not difficult, but it's not as straightforward. For example, if I have shares in Danone, they are on the French exchange. So... If I want, they have a 28% withholding tax, by the way, but I'm, I'm eligible to claim 14% or 12% of that back, but I have to do that manually. Now, luckily, I have an accountant already from my business. So a lot of this, I just offset to my accountant and he, he looks after for me. But certainly from a tax perspective on US stocks, it, it's straightforward. It's, it's looked after. It's just the European stocks. You have to be a little bit more manual in the process, particularly with the French and German ones, I believe. Wow, so you actually have to kind of go in there, you know, pick the country and say, okay, figure out what, how much you're going to... And how do you... I mean, does the Giro keep the tax or do you send them money? How, how exactly does that... The Giro will send you a report ah, um, and then you'd have to go on then to... I don't know what it's called in, in France, but they're called the revenue in, in our, the Irish Revenue in Ireland. It's, it's a similar setup. So you go on to their tax guys and you fill out a form online to get that tax... I see. We funded too. Oof. What an effort. <laughs> it, it is a lot of effort. And it's probably one of the reasons why 80% of my portfolio is, is US stocks. It's just, I suppose, because I'm investing every month, I'd have a, so I wouldn't have a massive position in a, in a French company. And I'd find it hard to go on and, and ask for a refund of maybe 10 euro. Maybe if it was 50 euro, it, it might be worth. But it's so at the, at the moment... At the moment, I have very little European exposure, but I'm starting to build that up slowly now because I, I just want to get that bit of diversification in my portfolio. Yeah, of course, that makes sense. And do you pay tax? Because I know also I was just discussing with uh, uh, Sebastian, who's based in Belgium, where different countries, you have to pay tax on different things. So, for example, in Belgium, you need to pay tax when you buy 
Whereas in the UK, for yeah. example, you pay you pay tax when you sell. Like it's just things are different in every single country. So what is it like in Ireland? Or I, mean, I know what it is like in the US. Obviously, that's just capital gains tax. But how do you manage the tax in European countries when it's all over the place? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the same. We pay tax. We pay capital gains if we sell a position. But we also have to pay tax on our, on our dividends. So most of it, as I say, comes from withholding tax. But then the rest of it works on your marginal rate. Um, and again, my accountant is, is good here because he's able to go in and, and work his magic and, and reduce that bill for me. But in Ireland, typically you pay your withholding tax and then you pay the remainder of whatever your marginal tax rate. And depending on how much you earn, I think it's over, if you earn over 45,000, you're on a 40% bracket. And if you're underneath 45, it's a, it's a 20% bracket. So depending on your tax bracket and how you're actually investing in these, whether it's a tax advantage account, for example, it, it could be a little bit more tricky. Yes, but does Euro does not offer does does Euro offer tax advantage accounts for Ireland? Because I know they do not for the UK. I'm quite certain. No, they don't. They don't, right? That's the main issue with the Euro, and it's why I don't use it here in the UK. I I use Vanguard because uh, I want to use an ISA, which is our tax advantage account. But does Euro doesn't offer one, so yeah. you know I have to stick to Vanguard. Yeah, it makes sense from a UK perspective, but from Ireland we. I don't think we can even get a Vanguard account. Yeah, no, no, I know. Yeah, so it's it's quite difficult over here. So I do have a tax advantage account, but we can't control. It's it's basically a fund. And the only reason I really have it is because my workplace pay two to once. So whatever I put in, they, they put in two times that amount. So it goes into a fund. But I suppose that's part of the reason I want it my own account with, with the gyros because I want to be in control of my own future. I want to retire when I want and not just that 65 or 67, I think that the age is now. Yeah, of course, that makes sense. And on dividends, you're obviously reinvesting them, right? You're not taking them out every single month. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I reinvest them. So part part of the, the strategy is to reinvest them. It's it's one thing that I don't like with, with the euro is that they don't have an automatic I was going to say. Yeah, so <laughs> you have to go in yourself. And, yeah. But that's not always a bad thing because sometimes companies could be slightly overvalued and you you have the ability to put your money to use. It's easier to rebalance. Yeah, exactly. So it's it has its pros and cons, but sometimes I just wish that they would have this this kind of feature. And do you invest in any funds or ETFs that pay dividends or only companies? I have got a small percentage in European ETFs, but I suppose the tax laws in Ireland for ETFs are quite complex. Um I for example, we have something called a deem disposal, which I'm not sure you would have heard of. But basically what that means is that once we hold an ETF for eight years, we have to pretend to sell it, even if we don't sell it, and pay tax on the potential gain that we would have made in that time. So it's it kind of counterintuitive to your compounding. So it kind of reduces the compound effect um, a little bit. And then also the, the tax bracket is a little bit higher. So you'd be paying typically nearly 51, 52%. Um, of your gains on tax as well. So it, it, it yeah, de de incentivizes ETFs, ETF investing. Yeah, pr pretty much. It, I know some guys do do it, but for me, it's just too complex and, and the tax. And, and I really, I really don't like this. I don't like having to pretend to sell something just to pay tax. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, if, if I'm whole, I don't mind paying tax once I sell it, but every eight years, and then after eight years, it's every year after that you have to fill out a form and pretend to sell. And, and wow. It's just a bit of a, a bit of a nightmare. So for, for me, that's why it kind of pushed me down the road of dividend investing. 
if we didn't have to do that, I probably would have quite happily went into ETF investing. And it's great. It's well diversified. It can be cheap. But I suppose Ireland just made it a little bit too complicated for me. Yeah, because in Europe, uh, we're mad about ETFs. We love ETFs, usually. It depends on the country, I think, right? And this is an example, yeah. right? Because your your country doesn't makes it a bit too complicated. Exactly. And when I was starting out researching and, you know, you, you find articles from five, six, seven years ago and this law recently, like it only came in, I think it was maybe three or four years ago. But before that, loads of people in Ireland, most groups or most people you talked to would have had some exposure to ETFs. But now they've had to kind of filter that out and try and you know, get the, the most out of the money. And ETFs is just a little bit of a minefield at the moment. Yeah, I see. You mentioned you set off your losses against your company, right? How exactly are, do you manage to do that? So I have a company as a sole trader, so it's all coming in as, as one income. So I have, you know, everything that I earn is, is one income. So you can put it together and you have, your, you have your income coming in and then you have whatever's going out and then you can offset between them. It would be a little bit more difficult if I was, if it was a limited company, for example, I wouldn't be able to do that. But because I'm a sole trader, it's classed as one income. And what goes out, goes out as well. So I can offset one off against the other. I see. And you also have an accountant that helps you out. I guess that really helps. <laughs> yeah, it does. It helps loads. Great. Um, and what, what is your objective generally with dividends? Obviously, this is an FI podcast. Uh, are you are you trying to um, reach the same level as your as a dividend growth investor and get a thousand per month? Or do you have an, a, a specific objective? Yeah, the, the goal is to cover all my expenses with dividend investing. So then I could let my money work in the background knowing that all my expenses are covered and I can do, I don't think I'd ever retire, but I'd be free to do whatever I, whatever I, I like to do, I suppose. That's the, that's the ultimate goal. That's the dream. But don't you like, because if, if your money, if the dividends you took out every month covered your expenses, it would slow down the growth of your portfolio, right? Because you're not re- reinvesting them. Is that, how does that play in your plan? Technically, that, that's true, but I, I would imagine it would be used as a safety net. So uh, as I mentioned, I, w- I probably would not stop working. I actually quite enjoy what I do as, as an engineer, but I might go into a, a role that requires uh, less work, less hours. So I'd have the safety net of all my expenses being covered. So I could probably take a bit of a risk and go out on my own into consultancy, knowing that I have a safety net there. And then obviously, if, if that worked out, and I was earning some money, I would still have money then to, to reinvest. I see. Yeah. So it's, it's more of a safety net. Cool. Exactly. Interesting. Exactly. Would you say if someone someone now listening to this is interested in getting started with dividend investing, how much education do you think is required? You said six months you spent really doing your research before you started. Is that, would you, do you think that's a requirement? Is that necessary? How, how would you go learning the basics of dividend investing? I, I, I don't think, I don't think six months is necessary. I, I'm a little <laughs> bit overkill sometimes. I would certainly read a book. There's, there's plenty of books. I think the first one I read was The Strategic Dividend Investor, and it was a pretty good book. And I took a course on Udemy as well. So certainly, it's, I think it's like any investment. You do want to know what you're doing a little bit, especially if you put big money into it. But I don't think the learning curve is, is really steep with this. There's plenty of videos on YouTube and Udemy, as I said. And as we mentioned before, the dividend aristocrats are probably the safest and best place to start. So. If I was to get involved or when I encourage my friends, I always say to them, there's a list of 50 or 60 companies here. Some of them, they know, stick to those companies while you learn the basics. 
And look, you'll constantly learn. Nobody goes in knowing, knowing everything and I'm still learning. But if you just start, you'd be surprised how fast you you pick it up as you go. That's good advice. And would you, are you trying to, are you aiming for a higher return? Like, are you trying to beat the stock market? Or do you think you're going to get a higher return than, I don't know, 8%, which is supposedly the average? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't focus a whole lot on trying to beat the market. I do, I do check every now and again how, how I'm performing against the market, but it's not my overall goal. I suppose my overall goal is, is that cash flow and to have that safety net, as I said, of covering my expenses. If I can beat the market, I'm happy with that, but it's not, it's not my primary goal. Yeah, I'm very interesting. I see because mostly, I mean, you know this in, in, in the US FI world, uh, investing world, everyone talks about, oh my God, the stock market, that's how you beat, that's how you make the highest return, blah, blah, blah. But you're really focusing on on what you would call, I don't know, passive uh, income or passive kind of returns. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, more, it's more passive. And, and look, we all want the best returns that we can get, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a professional financial expert by any means. So yeah, to beat yeah. the market is extremely hard. A lot of people try and a lot of people fail. So I'm a little bit of a realist. I'm, I'm happy to know that I have income coming in and I can put that to good use. So once I'm not drastically underperforming the market, I'm, I'm relatively happy. You're focusing on cash flow, really. Cool. Interesting. Exactly. Okay. And now I, I don't know if any dividend aristocrats have stopped issuing dividends. Probably not. But if they did, like, I don't know, one went bust or because this does happen, obviously. And I don't know, something like COVID happens, lockdown, recession. How do you really adapt to that? So w- one of them that happened to me during COVID was Disney, which probably happened to a lot of investors. Nobody was really expecting it. They looked like they had enough cash flow to, to continue paying their dividend. And if you had have asked me this question 12 months ago, I would tell you I would sell straight away. That was my one reason for selling. But I've since adapted and I kind of now look at the company as a whole, do analysis on them and see where do I see them in 10 years time. If I believe that there's potential for them to to grow, if they've cut their dividend for a reason to, to kind of as a safety net and that there is potential that they'll reinstate it, I won't sell. But if I feel like the company, I don't know, General Electric or something that, that they're really on a downhill spiral, I'll sell the company straight away. So what are your thoughts on Disney? I sold Disney. You sold Disney? Oh. I sold Disney. Wow. Yeah. You, th- you, th- you think there's no future? It's, it's not that there's no future, but I believe I'll be sitting here in, in two years' time and they'll still be in a similar position. And we may see growth after that. So I, I, I believe I bought them at a really good price. So when I sold them, I, I made a profit on the, the gains. And I, I don't see that price increasing too much between now and two years. So I kind of I put that money to you somewhere else. But they, they are still on my watch list and they're not gone away. But I, I did sell them at the time. And if they started increasing their dividends again, would you buy them again? Yeah, it, it's not an automatic buy, but it's it. They're definitely on the radar, and they don't even have to start increasing their dividends straight away. I just want to see the potential on on where our growth is going. They're facing a lot of headwinds at the moment. Their parks are closed, and I don't know if the Disney online went as well as as they had liked. So I just so I'm kind of stepping back and just looking at them from a distance to see how they're they're going to progress. Yeah, I see. So what if you were to enter a debate with someone, you know, index funds versus dividend growth investing being, I don't know, like just instead of focusing on dividends, you just buy maybe not ETFs because obviously Ireland, but index funds. I don't know if index funds, you can buy them 
probably can. What is your what are the main differences between maybe dividend investing and regular just putting my money into a fund and leaving it there? Well, contributing every month, but just not really worrying about the dividends. What do you think are the pros and cons or or the differences? For me, the main difference is and a lot of people talk to a lot of people on Twitter and, and on my blog about this. For dividend investing, I see it as, as realizing a portion of my gains as I go along. So I can physically see a company pay me every month or every quarter, and that money goes into my account, which I can see. It's there. It's tangible. Whereas with index funds or growth investing, for example, when you put your money in, you're waiting for the price to go up. And, and we all know that prices go up and down. And it's more of a psychology thing for me. With dividend investing, I'm not kind of focused on the price as much. I'm happy to know that I'm going to realize some gains and get cash. Whereas with index funds or growth funds, I feel personally, I would be too obsessed with the price of it. Oh my God, it's after dropping 40% and I'd be focused on that a little bit too much. So that's probably one of the main differences and pros for me. And obviously on the flip side of that, with growth funds and when you're leaving your money in, they're obviously reinvesting the money, not to their shareholders, but in the company so they can grow a lot faster. So there's an opportunity cost that I may be missing out on. But it risk reward, or for, as I said, my risk tolerance, dividend investing is, is definitely more suited to me. And it's that psychology of not looking at the price, I think, suits me more than, more than anything. I like how you say it's about psychology. I think that's quite important because, once again, it's what suits you best. If you prefer one method, then go ahead. If you don't, I remember when I first started out with investing, I was stock picking at first because I was like, okay, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. And I and I also had my excellent co-host, Alvar, who was kind of like, try this, try that. So I'd go and try all these things. And then I realized what, what suits me best is just putting my money into a index fund or ETF. I just leaving it and not touching it and not even thinking about it. But obviously this depends on who you are and if it's your passion, then you know, you're going to really enjoy it. So why not? Exactly. And as I said, I'm very passionate about it, but I'm very, I'm not like, oh my God, you have to do dividend investing because it's the best ever. I always feel, as you said, it's down to the individual. Find out what you're comfortable with and, and roll with that. I mean, anyone can give you advice on what suits them best, but it's really down to, down to you. And for me, for my own peace of mind, I, I, I think I just prefer getting that cash rather than waiting for a price to, to go up. That may never happen for me. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I mean, my next question that I have here is, you know, would you recommend it to others? You've kind of already answered this question. But, you know, I, I don't know, your children, for example, would you say to your children, you'd want to tell your children, obviously, try, just check it out. But would you say, yeah, I recommend it or, you know, do whatever suits you best? So. I have, as I said, I've, I've, I've two kids. One is 10 and one is eight. And they have their own account. On, so, so we have an account for them and they get to pick their stocks. So for Christmas, for birthdays, they, they always ask, can they buy some stocks? Or we have um, a rule that they save up a certain amount of money in, in a credit union. And when it gets to 2000, we take out 500 and they invest that. And they pick, they pick stocks. They pick Disney, they pick Microsoft. Um, my oldest son had done his own research and came back and said he wanted to buy uh, a technology ETF. So I always just buy what, what they want and just get them involved. I obviously tell them why I do dividend investing, but I, I wouldn't, like, again, they're younger, so they may be able to take more of a risk. So it's just about fueling their interest and getting them involved in what I'm doing and letting them make their own decisions because they'll make mistakes, but if they, if they learn from a young age, Maybe when they're my age at 34, 
they'll be retired and they won't have any, any kind of money worries. Yes, I, I, that's great. Like at 10, 10 years old, already into dividend investing, that's uh, another level already. Yeah, he, he, came to me, he came to me three or four weeks ago and said, oh my God, Dad, Microsoft are buying TikTok. Can I buy some Microsoft? I was like, do you know what? Of course you can. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what lovely. you want. I like it. Great. Um, so we're going to go on to our final questions, Derek. Our first question is, where can people find you online if they want to get in touch? Yeah, so I've got a blog, um, as I said, called Engineer My Freedom. We've got a podcast that I, I talk with, a, with another guy about dividend investing called Dividend Talk. And I'm also always on Twitter. So again, it's my Twitter handle is, I think it's EMFO1. Or if you just look up Engineer My Freedom, I'm sure you'll find me there. Yeah, we'll add those in the show notes in any case. Our second question is, what is one resource not well known that you would recommend to others? It could be a blog, a podcast, anything. The one resource that I would recommend is, is dripinvesting.org. It's, it's a fantastic website. And I, I used to think it was well, well known, but I've spoke to a lot of people in my DMs recently that mm. haven't heard of it. So no, I hadn't heard of it. I'm not quite sure if it is, but it, it's, it's fantastic. It has lots of different spreadsheets and books and podcasts and anything nice anything related to dividend investing. So I recommend checking it out. Right. And our last question is, what is your number one actionable tip for someone to get started on their path to dividend investing? I would just say, open up an account with Degero or, or tra actually trading 212 was maybe a better one because you can buy fractional shares and just and just get started. As I said, um, there's plenty of resources out there. Stick to the dividend aristocrat list and just start getting, getting involved. Yeah, even if it's just 10 euros, just a little bit. Yeah, even if it's just 10 euros, you can buy you can buy fractional shares. You can buy 10 euro worth of McDonald's or Visa <laughs> or Coca-Cola, whatever you wish. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good tip. Great. Well, thank you so much, Derek. It's been a great pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks a million for having me. Hey, Matthias, do you think there are not enough financial independence Facebook groups yet? Yes, there's definitely a shortage in financial independence Facebook groups. That's why we want to create another one. And the real reason is that we want to get some feedback on our episodes to have a conversation with our listeners, um, to follow on the topics. And you might also have some questions around our content. Gotcha. And also, we've been talking with more of you guys at meetups, on Reddits, in Facebook groups, the Fire Europe retreat, obviously, we organized. And this is in the end the main reason why we started the whole podcast project to talk to guys like you, uh, learn more from you, case studies, answer questions, and like hopefully all grow and learn from that together in the end and become stronger, smarter, and hopefully also richer people. So, you know, Matthias, say I'm interested in this. Where do I find this Facebook group? Yeah, just go to your Facebook app and type in FI Europe podcast or just click in our show notes. There's a link for the Facebook group or go to our website. There's also a link. So yeah, just type in FI Europe podcast. See you in the group. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time. <laughs>